Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 86 of Maximize Your Influence. I am Steve Olson here, as always, with Kurt Mortensen, who's fresh off a trip to Las Vegas, where he has all kinds of persuasion analogies and frustrations to share with us. Kurt, how was the trip? Warm, nice, sandy, crowded, amazing, good. (laughs) It's Vegas, right? How many times have we been to Vegas doing seminars down there? It's just Vegas. It's a unique place on Earth where, man, anything can happen and... It's just food everywhere. The food's good. Gotta love the food. So I had some really good food. So we have to mention food. Met some really good people and had a good time. Brought my wife this time, so yeah. that was always fun. And again, it's Vegas. Everyone <laughs> knows it's Vegas. I mean, I mean, you can't really explain it. It's Vegas. People watching. People watching. It's just amazing to walk up and down the Las Vegas Strip. And uh, yeah, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's almost like Carnival in Brazil where... Those don't know there's a few weeks where you can't really sin or make mistakes. Right. <laughs> I think that's when people go to Vegas, that's their mindset. Oh, it doesn't matter. It stays here, right? It stays in Vegas, so I can do anything I want. And Yeah. Yeah, it happens. So I've been there a lot. I remember when I was a kid, they were making this big public relations push to call it Family City USA or something, that it's a family <laughs> city. And then they quickly abandoned that and realized that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, that's not why they were going there. Yeah, Yeah, that didn't work. Someone didn't do the research on that one. Wishful thinking, (laughs) but you know, hey. That person (laughs) is probably still looking for a job. That's right. (laughs) Marketing 101. Know your customer. Well, I was out of town in in your old stomping grounds in Anaheim, California, doing some Uh, uh, real estate stuff. And I went to a – I've got a buddy that lives uh, on uh, Balboa Island down in Newport. And so we met up in Newport for dinner on Friday – and I had this place that's called Eat Chow, and it's kind of a hipster yet street foodie type of a place. And I had this big yellow pepper that they filled with kind of this cream cheesy roux sauce. They stuffed a big old prawn inside of there, and then they wrapped the whole thing in bacon. <laughs> it was pretty fantastic. <laughs> I'll take your word for that. There's a lot of interesting I'll put together in one thing. Yeah, so. yeah it uh, it was a, a complete overwhelming of the taste buds in a good way. I was just like, wow, that that's pretty good. And that was the appetizer. It was pretty shameful from there. <laughs> you know, people think, <laughs> was that your meal? No, no, I'm embarrassed to say it was not. There was more after. So that's a good place. Check it out if you're in Orange County. So you probably felt better about yourself after that than after doing a Las Vegas buffet, because after that, like, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> but you got to do at least one. We had to do at least one buffet while we're down there. Which one did Even you do? At, we did the one at the Rio, the multi-country one. Do you know that one? Uh, yeah, so the Rio buffet for... is pretty good. It's, it is. It's like a top fiver, I think. It was decent. So you had your little, there's the Chinese station, and here's the deep fat fried American station, <laughs> and here's the Italian station. They had jolly, you could eat gelato, so that was good. And so it was, the, yeah, your Italian station. So I'll give it thumbs up. Not quite as good as the Bellagio, but it was pretty good. Yeah, Bellagio's number one, but I think Rio's close behind. So some of those are just really, really bad. Like if you go over to the Tropicana or something, oh. <laughs> I'd say Luxor is one of those where, yeah, really? $2 all you can eat? Wow, must be good. (laughs) Yeah, but it's not. 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> some of those are about quantity and not quality so yeah well glad you had a good trip in vegas there's a lot of people who they go to vegas and when they come back to their spouse or whoever this article that you're about to share with us in the geeky <laughs> article moment might oh, yeah. be helpful is that correct <laughs> well i guess it depends how you're going to interpret it it's the title is, you know, we're lying in our relationship, but then they want to talk about white lies. And so I think we all know deception and lying. Eventually, any relationship is going to come back and haunt you. I think that's a given. Any form of deception is going to hurt that relationship, even though Vegas doesn't agree. That's a whole other story. But let's focus <laughs> it stays. on the white lies. So this is Dr. Susan Orenstein. And she says, she came out and said, look, white lies are good and common and create healthy relationships. No way. And I thought that was interesting. It's a thing of being kind. So if your wife's wondering, hey, can you see these wrinkles? You, you don't want to say, yeah, they're huge. <laughs> that could damage the relationship. You might, you might want to say something you're as beautiful as ever. Or she talks about if a husband brings you breakfast in bed and the fruit's no good and the French toast is burned, right, and everything's undercooked, you... You still are grateful, and, and you still say thank you to those things. So she says that white lies, you're basically overlooking certain things in the name of love and the name of understanding. So I thought that was pretty interesting that, yeah, it can be helpful. And she points out that deception, it's all about you're covering up something that you did. It's all about you. But white lies, you're actually more concerned about your partner than yourself, and that's kind of where she draws the line. Mm, mm, okay, so... Yeah, fundamental deception is it's about you, the white lies, or you're making them feel a little bit better, and they seem to be of a positive consequence. Yeah, and she found that couples with those stable, healthy relationships, they do confide in each other and they make decisions together, but there's also a few white lies in there. To, and I think some people appreciate the white lies, even though they know that deep down, you know, there are a few more wrinkles, or how do I look in that dress? I think we've all been caught off guard on that one, that honesty is mm -hmm. not the best policy in that situation. <laughs> And so she says, you know, they're beneficial. They're about being sensitive to your partner. And she says, again, white lies are not okay when they're meant to protect you or you're hiding things or covering up. So I thought that was interesting, kind of a self-esteem angle to where, okay, research shows I'll give you one a day. White lies are okay in a relationship. Do we know if she got into it in enough detail to, to find some kind of a statistical relationship between divorces or breakups and white lies? And did she go that far? Not with her research. I have seen research, though, where a marriage psychologist would actually interview people before marriage and would peg almost, I don't know if it was 100% or 90%. See, they would say they get divorced, they'll get divorced, they'll stay married. Wow. And it was just amazing. And what it came down to is during that interview, she would kind of see if they would kind of poke fun at each other and kind of tear each other down and, and be negative about certain things about each other versus the people that were just loving and bringing each other up. Because sometimes you do that. When you're poking fun, but after a while when you're married, I guess that gets old and, and can cause a lot of divorces. Mm. I think that was the one done at University of Washington that Malcolm Gladwell talked about in Blink, was it not? It could have been. It could have been to where, yeah, they were pegging them pretty good as far as what happened. It all came down to number of compliments versus number of, I don't know if you want to call them insults, but sometimes we jab at each other, we poke fun. But it looks like in marriage that poking fun gets old real fast and doesn't last. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, there you have it. It's, it. It reminds me of, the article reminds me of that awesome moment in the movie Tommy Boy where Chris Farley asked David Spade, does this shirt make me look fat? And David Spade, no, your face does. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that's a whole other one, Tommy boy. That's a good one. Yeah, but that's a that's not that's not a white lie. So you know, if if, if your spouse or somebody asks you that, it's funny because it is a game, right? With my wife, she asked me things like that, and she, and she knows I can't give the real answer. I mean, it's it's just wow. Talk about warming you up for politics, learning how to navigate those questions successfully. That's an art. And I've said this before to my wife when she'd say something like that. I'm like, well, okay, I'm not sure what you want me to say here. Just tell me what to say. I'll say it because I'm not sure which direction to go. Okay, is this a white lie moment? Is this a truth moment? I, I don't know. You just, just just point me in the right direction. I'm happy to tell you. But see, you're still in trouble for saying that. Oh, I know. This is a no-win. I'm not going to answer. <laughs> yeah, that's where we become the politician. Yeah, we're not taking questions today. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's where you get your little Bill Clinton voice out. I can't answer that. You know, you just give them the the smooth political speech. So, yeah, still won't work, but maybe you'll be in less trouble. Maybe that's what it becomes about. It's not that you're not going to be in trouble. It's you need to minimize the amount of the trouble. Degree of trouble. Yeah, right? yeah. It's damage control. Okay. <laughs> well, there's there's some sound marriage advice for all of you. We tend to give very sound advice on the show, which you know by now. That's why you're listening. That's right. <laughs> okay. Well, we're continuing in, on our Persuasion IQ cheat sheet that we've been doing for a little while. If you want to take the Persuasion IQ test, you need to go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com, scroll to the bottom, and you will see the Persuasion IQ test, which I believe is, we've got a little graphic there of like a, a chess board or something. You'll know what I mean when you see it. So go there. You can take the Persuasion IQ test, and you can use the answers that we've been giving on the last few episodes of the show to get a really great score and feel really great about yourself on the on the persuaded IQ test. But really in all seriousness, it's a good way to know how much you you do know about being persuasive. So we've got the question. Kurt is ready to answer. Here we go. When asking someone a question that they start to think about, if they look up, it indicates A, they are visual, B, they are auditory, C, they are kinesthetic, D, they are indifferent. Or E, they are resentful. What do we got? I will take A, they are visual people. Okay. So why do, what go. do we do with that? We could do a lot with that. You know, Ralph Waldo Emerson said the eyes of men converse as much as their tongues. And so if you could really learn to read people's eyes, because they're directly wired to the middle of the brain, you can tell a lot about the person, not only with deception and negotiation, but how they think, how they like to take in information. And this is not 100%, but overall, when you ask somebody a question that they need to think about, right, something that's just not on the tip of their tongue, visual people tend to look up to gather information. Auditory people tend to look to the side. And kinesthetic people, and those are the type of people that like to touch and feel and, and figure things out, they tend to look down. And it's amazing how accurate this can be. And when you know that, when you know about senses – you can adapt your whole persuasive presentation around that. And we say it time and time again. You need to persuade others how they like to be persuaded. And so if you know they're a visual, auditory, or kinesthetic person, then all of a sudden you can really adapt your presentation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's really real. They're going to look up. They're going to look sideways. They're going to look down. I mean, is it very subtle or is it pretty obvious? It's usually pretty obvious. They'll be looking up. Even as we train public speakers, they tend to do that when they're looking up. They're trying to gather information. A lot of times they'll look up. And, and averages, usually 40% of the people are visual, 20% are auditory, and the other 40% are kinesthetic. But it's, it's not 100%. Some people are wired a little differently. But you'd be amazed 
how you can take that information and really adapt it to your presentation. And this is also the reason when someone sees a car accident, for example, you get so many different stories as they people recall things in different ways. So riddle me this here. We ask somebody a question. They look up. We know that it's likely that they're a visual person. What are two or three tips that we can apply going forward with that person to make the message hit home a little bit more, given the fact that they're visual? It's the word choice. It all comes back to the word choice. For example, a visual person will say things like, from your point of view, how does that look like to you? Can you picture that? Do you see what I mean? And they use words like see, show, view, look, watch, observe. An auditory person, they'll say, hey, that sounds good to me. I hear you. Uh, can you hear what I'm saying? That doesn't ring a bell. Let's talk about it. And you hear those words like hear, listen, rings, speak, discuss, verbalize. And then kinesthetic people will say things like, well, you know, that feels right to me. I'll be in touch with you. Did you feel that? I understand how you feel. I can sense it. So those words like hold, connect, reach, grasp are all words that you hear. So what that means is when you see that in their eyes, then all of a sudden you're going to use more visual type words or more auditory type words or more kinesthetic type words. Then all of a sudden you're adapting, you're connecting where you're speaking their language and you're persuading them how they like to be persuaded. So people at some point in their life just kind of become wired this way where you're speaking to the brain on a more meaningful level through that visual, auditory, or kinesthetic-based vocabulary. I mean, is it that simple? Yeah, it is that simple. I was just working with somebody. So no, no, draw it out for me. Map it out for me. I got to see it, right? Yeah, yeah. A visual person. The auditory, a lot of these people tend to be in music or other things where they want to listen to it. They want to they don't want to read the book. They want to listen to the book versus a kinesthetic type person. Show me how. I want to feel it. Let's take it apart. Let's look at it. How does this work? Why is this here? Why is this going here? That's their language. Mm -hmm. you know, we've heard of love languages. This is their learning language, and this is how they like to do it. And when you can adapt and start speaking that language, hey, let's touch base versus do you see what I'm saying? Did you feel that? All little clues you can pick up even over the phone. Even if you can't ask them a question and watch their eyes and you're talking to them over the phone, you can pick up their words they're using if they're highly visual or highly auditory or highly kinesthetic. Okay, okay. So we did a little bit on visual. What about in, in like marketing materials, email campaigns? When we're talking to them, you've given some pointers. What about when we're marketing to these people? Any thoughts or ideas? Do you have to try to encompass everybody into one because it's not as targeted? What What are your thoughts? Oh, absolutely. You need to shoot down the middle. If you're doing a presentation or doing a seminar or marketing, the visual is going to be the picture. That's what's going to grab people's attention. The way you put the ad together, you want to use as much verbiage as possible to gather everyone's attention. So use this as most important when you're one-on-one -on -one with somebody and also understand that if you are speaking to a group or doing a marketing piece and you're a visual person, everything you're going to do and say is going to be visual, you need to change it up a little bit so you can attract the other types. I was teaching a workshop, like I said, in Anaheim over the weekend, and I was explaining a, what what I thought was a pretty simple concept to the audience. And this guy I would explain it and he would raise his hand and say, well, you're telling me that. And, you know, he would question what I just said. And then I would, so I'd explain it again. I told him like four times. And what I thought was basically, you know, spell it right out A to C and he wasn't getting it. And that's when it dawned on me. Okay. This guy is not auditory, right? He's, he's looking at me while I'm speaking and, and had kind of this confused, puzzled look on his face. 
So I got out the flip chart and I drew it and all the lights went on and his facial expression completely changed because really just explaining something to him, it's, it's so hypothetical. It's so abstract. And, and I really, I, I just drew this picture with a couple of stick figures and kind of showed what was going on this. We were explaining a, a particular real estate concept and then it all just kind of came through. I realize that typically it's in these presentations, explain, then draw. And it helps me keep most of the audience with me throughout the presentation. Yeah, and then I have them do something, like kinesthetic, actually doing the exercise, walk them through it. And you could have explained it all day long, they wouldn't have got it. But it's a couple stick figures right there, especially when they're primarily auditory like that, and that's how they learn. The other, other ways really just don't help them out. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty amazing because I was getting frustrated. I, in my head, you know, this is a challenge when you're speaking to a group. There's there's what it's diplomatic to say and do in front of the room, and there's what's really going in your mind, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I know that one. Yeah, you know that one. And I just kind of wanted to say, hey, hey, man, I can only say English to you so many times. If you don't speak English, I don't know what to do. And I realized, <laughs> well, you're actually, Steve, you're kind of the idiot here. You got to try this out. That's just how people are, so. There you go, folks. That cheat question from the Persuasion IQ test about visual, auditory, kinesthetic. You know I do this to you, Kurt, on these questions. Sometimes I ask you about some of the wrong answers because one of them was, was pretty interesting, and I think this is a problem that most persuaders deal with. Maybe you can give us like a quick 30-second answer because this could be like a whole series of podcasts. But one of the answers was that the prospect is indifferent. And I know that this is probably the most frustrating type of prospect to deal with. I mean, it, it's almost more fulfilling to deal with a hostile prospect <laughs> than it is oh, an agree. indifferent yeah. one. I mean, do we have any options here if our prospect is indifferent? Oh, we have options. Like I said, I'd rather have a hostile audience than an indifferent yeah. audience every time because at least they're thinking about right, it. Right, right. Yeah, and an indifferent person... They've checked out. They're done. They're done with you. They're just being polite. It's, in fact, if you're looking at them, they, they look older because their facial muscles hang. There's nothing going on. And that's time to think, okay, well, first of all, you need to peg that they're indifferent, right? Either with their facial expressions, looking at their watch, their short answers, you can tell they're done with you. And that, that's the moment of truth for any persuader. All right, I'm done. Have a good life versus, okay, is this salvageable? Yeah. So in a moment like that, you haven't pegged their what's in it for me. There's no reason for them to listen to you. They're going with somebody else. That's a great moment to ask a question and kind of gauge where they're at and how interested they are. It might be something, well, on a scale from 1 to 10, where am I at? Well, you're a 5. If they say something like that, you're probably out of the game, right? If they, You can just tell. But if they say, well, you need this, this, and this, you might get some valuable information to get them back in the game. But you got to realize at that moment, you got to quit wasting time getting them back in the game. They're not listening anyway. It is the worst thing for any persuader, any presenter to see it in a different audience. You've got to create a reason for them to listen or it's time to move on. Okay, there you go. Cut them loose and cue the Homer. All right, Homer, give it to us. Don't, don't, don't. So this one's you. You Vegas is a... A treasure trove of blunders and ninjas, just like Disneyland. I think Vegas and Disneyland are the two best marketers on the planet. <laughs> and uh, what what did you find? Well, there's something called the law of involvement, which works for most people. And casinos, they've done their research. They know what works. They know what doesn't work. They know where to put things and where not to put things. But for some people, it backfires and backfires on me. I mean, 
I've trained for some casinos, and they know exactly how much money they're going to win when you walk in that door. They put the loud carpets in there so you're not looking down. They filter the air so you don't want to go outside. They hide the clocks. They hide the door. They hide the sunshine. They put up as many distractions as possible when you're gambling. They know their business. And when you go to a casino, you never have to leave. Everything you could ever want in your whole life. You could live your whole life in a casino and never have to leave. I mean, there's clothing stores, and there's food, and there's pools, and everything you want. And with the law of involvement, the more you keep people involved, the easier they are to persuade. And so with the casino, of course, the place to check in is in the middle of the casino. And, of course, parking is way in the back. And so by the time you park your car, grab your luggage, find where to check in, get to your room, you're probably a good hour, hour and a half away. Everywhere yeah. you go, there's a line for food. There's a line to check in. There's a line to check out. I know you've gone through this, too. Because when we do seminars down there, it's always off the strip because that's such a pain. But it gets to me to the point, I don't know about you, that I don't even want to go to the large casinos because it's just such a headache to get to a car, to check in, to get to your room. I mean, you probably clock it in one, two miles going through that, just finding the place. For me, sometimes I have to stay in the strip, but I'd rather stay off the strip where I can drive up to my room or at least get close to an elevator because it's just driving me nuts. It's it's tough. So are they they're a homer or they're a ninja? I mean, do they know what they're doing here? Should we call it a hinja? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so they know what they're doing. Even though it upsets people, they still extract more money from them. To me, I've been there so many times, I'm done with it. They will not extract money. I'd rather go someplace else. It's a lot more quiet. That's easier to get into. But, you know, a lot of people just go once a year and they just deal with it. Probably a combination of both. But a lot of people I talk to do not like it. And if they had a choice, they would rather stay someplace else. But it depends on the amenities and the shows and the gambling and what you really want to do in Vegas. But I'll put it down the middle. Half For a lot of people, it's a homer. And for a lot of people, it's a ninja. Yeah. There's a market more and more for the quiet, off-the-strip type hotel, and those are popping up more and more. So yeah, the market's going to sort that one out. But the fact is is that, yeah, they wouldn't do the loud carpet and the, the ambiguous exits and, and the $20 bottles of water on the casino floor if they didn't know that uh, <laughs> if they didn't know you weren't going to hang around and extract money from yourself. So I think that uh, banking is probably the second best business plan since the history of mankind, and gambling is the first. Yeah, the house is guaranteed to win yeah. most of the time. With <laughs> banking, it's model. give us your money and we'll keep it safe, but we're going to give it to other people for a while and charge them. And with yeah. gambling, it's give us your money and you might get a little bit back every now and then. Yeah, I like some of the billboards that says, yeah, 90% return on your slots. I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, well, okay, so I give you 100 you'll give me 90 back? Oh, that's a great deal. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Try yeah, it I next like that. time. Yeah, do I have to? I'll just give you the money and give it me back. I don't want to play the game, right? So I'll just, yeah. Well, that's good. That's cheesy marketing. That's a homer right there. <laughs> they do, and they make a lot of the rooms aren't that comfortable. They don't have the movie channels like other hotels because they don't want you watching movies. I mean, the whole list of things. So, yeah, down the middle, half homer, half ninja. Well, there it is. Okay, everybody. Well, thanks for listening to the show for today. Remember, MaximizeYourInfluence.com is where you can check out the blog and you can check out the recordings of the podcasts. If you like convenience, then you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Just go to iTunes and type in Maximize Your Influence and you'll see our show come up. You can click subscribe there. Also, we're available on Stitcher Radio. So if you have any questions about the show, 
comments. If you want us to talk about a persuasion problem that you may be having, you're welcome to email us at MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. We are always happy to help. We will catch you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. See you next week.